Welcome to the Boss Level. My name is Enigma, and I am a 15-year industry veteran, part-time Twitch streamer, game console collector, just all-around nerdy guy. Loves gaming. Been doing it for a long time. I am in my 40s, so I consider myself to be one of the original uh, game fans that were out there. I grew up Atari 2600, and uh, went into you know Nintendo, Super Nintendo, etc., etc., etc. And now I, uh, like I said, I'm a twi- part-time Twitch streamer on the weekends, and I record a podcast once a week for you guys. So I uh, certainly hope you will give me a follow here and on Twitch. Don't forget, I'm Evil Enigma on Twitch. Enigma is spelled with a Y, same way it is here. Also find me on Twitter under that handle. Also Instagram, which I'm not updating my Instagram as much as I probably should, but I'm not very good at taking pictures. So, and uh, except unless you want to see my dog, so I'll take pictures of him. Yeah, I'm talking about you. So, uh, this week, I thought we would talk about gaming journalism. I haven't done that yet. More of a contemporary thing. Usually I've been trying to handle things from the past, but, uh, you know, there's there's a lot going on in gaming journalism right now, and I thought it would be a good time to go over kind of the rise and the fall of it, where, where I got into uh, enjoying it and why I don't enjoy it nearly as much anymore, and... Uh, you know, what, what, what can you do? So uh, let's go ahead and start by saying that uh, the first magazines I were I saw in uh, grocery stores when I was a kid were more of a less a way to exchange codes and uh, things like that. You know, they were at code breakers and I don't think that was one of the things, but they, they would have, they were just these big magazines and all they had in them was codes for your favorite Nintendo games. And, uh, you know, games were much more difficult back then. I've gone over that in the past, that the reason why was because they wanted you to buy the games and not rent them. So they would artificially boost up the difficulty of a lot of American games so you couldn't beat them in a single weekend. And, uh, of course, the fallout from that was is that if the game was too hard, then kids didn't want to buy it anyway. Maybe move on to games we actually wanted to buy. But uh, these these magazines were a way to exchange codes and exchange information on how to get through tough parts of games it's like i said it's not as like it is now plus there's no there was no youtube or internet back then i know the angry video game nerd calls this period the bi period not bc but bi before internet and he's correct uh the only way you could you could get codes or things was either to find them on your own get these magazines or uh, if you were friends with some kids, you know maybe you you would get uh, get the information from them on the playground or something. It was not something you were going to uh, run across or go. You, there was not a place you could go, you know, like Google where you can Google, hey, what's the code to Mike Tyson, and you it'll come right up. But there was none of that stuff back in in the eighties. So that was the original uh, thing for magazines that I saw. Now Nintendo was the biggest thing in gaming, at least here in the States. I know that I have some international friends out there that grew up with Sega Genesis, or I'm sorry, Sega Master System, Sega Genesis, and I love my Sega stuff as well. But here in the States, it was mostly Nintendo stuff. So Nintendo had their Fun Club letter, which was free. If you bought an NES, you sent in, uh, I think it was like your warranty card or something, and they signed you up for uh, a Fun Club letter, and it was like a little... I shouldn't say little. It was it was a proper magazine, but it looked like a you know a thin magazine, a thin. It might have been forty pages long, where there would be codes in there and previews of upcoming games, because that's that's what caught people 
coming back to Nintendo was the fact, hey, I've been playing Mario. Ooh, Mario 2's coming out. Let's, uh, you know, they, they would wet your palate. Palate wetter. Palate wetter for your, your the, the next game to come out. More money for them. Well, uh, after a little while, they decided, hey, this Nintendo Fun Club letter is doing really well for us. What if we made it into an actual magazine? And that was the birth of Nintendo Power. Now, a lot of people my age have a very um, fond relationship, fond memory of of dealing of, of Nintendo Power, because when they first started, they were not uh, Nintendo focused. I mean, they were NES, SNES focused. They were focused on the consoles. And yes, if Nintendo was bringing out a new Mario or a, a new Zelda. Chances are that was going to get the cover. That did happen. But once you got into this magazine, and these magazines were were nice and thick, you know. I mean, these were these were proper magazines. And then when it first came out, they came out bi-monthly. So you'd get six issues a year for 20 bucks or 15 bucks, whatever it was. But, uh, you know, the very first issue of Nintendo Power had a big, huge rundown of how to complete the second quest of Legend of Zelda, which blew me away. I had never seen anything like that before, and I needed it because there was a mechanic in the second quest that we didn't know about, and there was no hints to helping you figure it out, and I didn't know you could walk through walls. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, holy crap, you can walk through walls, and then I you could get through and beat, beat the second quest. But... uh that was the whole thing with Nintendo Power is that, but and they would give equal treatment to third-party games, and they they didn't crap on anybody. If you go back and read some of their reviews of some really crappy games, they would actually say, "Oh, it's interesting," and "Oh, this is it's a little different, hard to you know, it might be a little hard to get used to," you know, things like that. But they would come out and say, "Hey guys, this game from Hellgun sucks." They would never do that. That's that wasn't what Nintendo's modus operandi was. But they did give equal footing to their third-party publishers and and their developers. So there would be, and they would give them covers. Mega Man got covers, and Castlevania got covers, and and you, you know, all the the classic stuff. They were, all got covers to Nintendo Power, and that was probably the most fond memory a lot of people are going to have about video game magazines that are my age. Was the love that we had with Nintendo Power? Like I couldn't wait to get. My issue, like I said, it started out bi-monthly. Then they started doing it where uh, they would do it every month, but every other month they did a strategy guide. So I would, uh, you'd get Nintendo Power one month, the next month you would get a strategy guide for Final Fantasy or Mario 3 or something like that. And then the next month you'd get another issue of Nintendo Power. And then finally, uh, when it was all said and done, they just went decided to do an issue a month. And they did that for a while. I do believe they are defunct now as far as paper magazines go as a lot of magazines are you don't see a lot of those uh, I mean you see them at the store and such and I'm sure they're still out there but um, the the fall of the magazine kind of happened with the advent of people being able to look things up on the internet but uh, Nintendo Power was was uh, my first real fo- uh, uh, love of video game journalism and I I had them for a long time. I got rid of them all recently because, and I kind of wish I'd have kept them, but they, I was moving and I think a lot of them were in kind of bad shape because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell the story again. 
during my time in junior high school, I was kind of a, a, an outcast and I didn't have hardly any friends at all. So I would sit at a lunch table and read Nintendo Power. That's all I really did during lunch and recess was I would uh, sit at a lunch table by myself, get out my issue of Nintendo Power and, and read uh, what was going on in gaming and uh, go over the maps and things like that. And that's that was me for a, for a while as I, I did that. And so I loved Nintendo Power. I really did. Now, um, well, I could tell. I could tell you where I felt, felt in love with Nintendo Power was there was an issue. They ever at the end of the year, Nintendo did the what they call the Players Pulse Awards, where you could fill out a card uh, and send it in. Which uh, a lot of the times, mo- every month they had, or every issue they had a contest. So you would fill out the card, and uh, f- you'll. F- it would you'd be some information about you and what you liked and what you didn't like and things like that, and then you'd send it in and you'd be entered in this drawing. And the drawing would sometimes be like, here's a free copy of this game, or here's a vacation, or something like that. And probably one of the most famous ones was the uh, the gold in the World Championship cartridges. They they did have I think a f- grand prize drawing for so many of those twenty cartridges or something like that. Uh, they gave those away in Nintendo Power. So. Uh, uh, that's that they did it every month. Well, th- with Players Pulse, they would do it where you could vote on your games of the year. What was your favorite Nintendo game from the entire year? And you could, uh, they had a list of games that you could choose from. You checked box, and then in the last issue of the year, you go through. They would go through and say, "Oh, look, this game won Game of the Year." Well, towards my end with Nintendo Power was because there was the advent of the Sony PlayStation. And uh, Sony, uh, you know, Sony was, as I've gone over before in the past, Sony was really trying to take down Nintendo. That was their whole thing. They did not care about Sega. They did not care about Panasonic. They didn't care about Atari. I mean, in the long run, yeah, they they did. That's How do you get to the top? That was by bowling over your your competition and uh, they they wanted to be number one but at the same time their number one focus was we want to destroy uh, Nintendo that was their whole thing so they went in and they started getting all the third parties to come over to the Sega uh, Sony side of things and start making games for PlayStation well the the biggest uh, uh, defection that's the word I was looking for was Squaresoft, Square Enix, because Square had always been on Nintendo, through the Nintendo, Super Nintendo, and it was announced they were going to support the Nintendo 64. They had uh, moved to making a tech demo of what games could look like on the N64. A lot of people thought it was that they were remaking Final Fantasy VI for the the N64, and that's not what it was. It was a tech demo as to what they could do with it. But... uh, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, they they went to Sony. They went to, and they were going to do Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation instead of the N sixty four, and it kind of caught everybody flat footed, like holy crap, because I always have said that uh, the you know lifeblood of a game console is always its games, and your sports games and your action games are the games that actually you know boost your your console into the stratosphere, but. I, the game library that keeps your console relevant longer are role-playing games. There were, back then there weren't a lot of them. There there was just a uh, uh, 
there were you know that you get one or two a year maybe they weren't they weren't very prevalent and uh, so you had to make them last. The developers made them so you could play them for a very long extended period of time, and they'd also hide things in them. You know, little side quests, bonus characters, special items that you could get by going off and doing doing other doing other things in the game that weren't part of the story. So. You know, role-playing games were really the the backbone of how popular a console was. And if, if a Nintendo was losing Square Enix, Square Soft, then that was that would be a big big hole in Nintendo's library. And yes, it was a big hole in the N64 library. They did not have uh, a big robust library of role-playing games, and that hurt them, especially. You know, for, for people like me who grew up loving Final Fantasy and games like that. Well, as they were on their way out the door, they had released this little game called Chrono Trigger, which is widely considered to be one of the best role-playing games ever made. I don't know if I would say it's uh, the best. My favorite game is still Final Fantasy VI, but Chrono Trigger did a lot of things that uh, were revolutionary for their, for its time, and it is... A fantastic game and if you if you like role-playing games you have not played Chrono Trigger do yourself a favor pick up a copy of it I know they put it on the Nintendo DS I know there's a uh, they released it on uh, PlayStation 1 of course the Super Nintendo version and uh, there's probably PSN or versions or switch versions out there somewhere I'd have to look that up I don't remember but anyway uh, it won game of the year Chrono Trigger won game of the year and Donkey Kong Country 2 is out at that time, and the Player's Pulse winner was Chrono Trigger, but in their congratulatory congratulatory, congratulatory paragraph, easy for me to say, they spent more time talking about Donkey Kong, uh, Donkey Kong Country 2 than they did about Chrono Trigger. It was something like, yo, in the end, Chrono Trigger beat the stellar graphics and fantastic music and, and stunning gameplay of Donkey Kong Country. And I was like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. Chrono Trigger won. Uh, but, and they were, they became, at that point, they, I thought they were kind of being shills for Nintendo. They work for Nintendo, so I get it. But I didn't like it because I like independent voices. So I canceled my subscription at that point. They were not the only game in town by then, though, because magazines had started to really blow up and you would have seen, uh, you know, uh, Game Pro was out by that point. Ultra Game Players, uh, you know, Game Informer had always been around. You also had uh, other, you know, independent uh, voices coming through with with magazines. And uh, the one that I liked the most out of all of them was was Ultra Game Players. Now we're going to talk a lot about gaming reviews and uh, and opinions here. And uh, I want to make it 100% clear. There is no such thing as an objective review. There's no such thing. Every review, by definition, is subjective in some way. So anyone on any website, magazine, your web channel, you know, YouTube, whatever, who's telling you, I'm going to give you my objective review of this game. Guys, look up what objective means versus subjective. Okay, Subjective means you're trying to influence somebody based off of opinion. That's what a review is, because you can play a game, and I can play a game, and we can have two completely different opinions about that game, and there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. There are games that people hate that I love, and there are games that people love that I hate. There's, n and I hate, I don't like using the word hate, but it's just, 
No, no, no. It's okay to have differing opinions. It really is. But all this garbage these days where you'll have people say, I have an objective opinion, an objective review about this game. No, you don't. You do not have an objective opinion, uh, a review of a game. There is no such thing. It's all subjective. So, I. I but then we get more into the uh, commercial side of games journalism, and we're going to get to that as well. But uh, for for now, let's talk more about the gaming magazines back then. I liked Ultra Game Players because it was brutally honest. Like, it did give bad reviews to games. If a game was a crappy game, it gave they gave it a crappy review. And that, that's how it should be. Not every game is going to be a diamond. You're going to have some turds. And, and uh, you know, especially when you're dealing with uh, these, these companies that allowed everything under the sun just about on their consoles. Your Nintendo, or your, your Sony PlayStation, for instance, had a lot of crap on it. There's some good stuff, don't get me wrong. There's some fantastic games, some of the best games ever made. But if you go back and look at that huge library, there are some, there are some serious turds in there, too. So, Ultra Game Players was the first magazine I read that actually would give a brutally honest opinion in the opinion of the of the uh, of the journalist who was writing the review of what they thought of the game there wasn't any of this fluff there wasn't this well you know we really like castlevania and this game you know we love konami and castlevania is really good but konami made this game too and maybe there's some problems but yeah it's got some konami no 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 they would just say this game sucks is what they would say they would go right into it and tell you why it sucks they would play the games. That's going to be another theme we're going to have here: is playing the games, and uh, and they would do a you know fairly fairly good job. Now, uh, what happened was with Ultra Game Players, for some reason they decided to turn into a magazine called Game Buyer, and I remember that because I had they had sent me my renewal for Ultra Game Players. This was like the late '90s, I believe it was mid to late '90s. They had sent me my renewal notice for Game Informer, not Game Informer, for uh, Game uh, Ultra Game Players, and I filled out the card and sent it in. And then I start getting this magazine called Game Buyer, and uh, they threatened, and I didn't pay for it because it was crap. It was a crappy magazine. I didn't like it, and they uh, then they threatened to uh, hurt my credit because I wouldn't pay for the magazine subscription and I said stop sending me your crappy magazine I wanted ultra game players and instead you're giving me game buyer I do not want game buyer I want ultra game players so that happened and uh, they stopped sending it to me and then game buyer went out of business so that change from ultra game players to game buyer actually destroyed the magazine then you had what would happen is that you'd have your uh, people who were uh, who ran Ultra game players, and uh, they went to a magazine called PSM, which was a they were they were a PlayStation focused magazine, but they also they still did their their stuff. They weren't officially employed by Sony; they just did PlayStation reviews, and then of course they would do uh, reviews. And I, I some of them didn't make any sense. Uh, I remember in particular, I actually wrote them about this was they reviewed uh, Tekken, I think it was Tekken 3, and it was the same month or a month after or a month prior that the uh, game Ironhinder had come out. And they had get given 
Ironhinder, you know, when you, you break down the reviews, they would have the review of you know, graphics, music and sound, gameplay, fun factor. You know, they would have all that on there. And they gave Einhinder higher grade overall in every one of those categories over Tekken 3. But they but in the overall score, they gave Tekken a perfect score. And they gave Einhinder like a 4 or something like that out of 5. And I was like, that's kind of weird. So I actually wrote to them and asked them and never heard anything back. But, um, you know, again, that's you don't have to have the same opinion as I do. That's I'm fine with people not liking the same stuff because I liked Einhinder quite a bit. It's a great jump, great shooting game. But but you don't have to have the same opinions. That's the great thing about gaming is you can have differing opinions and it's not worth going to war over. Well, at this point, uh, a lot of the magazines started to fold, though. You would see, like I said, Ultra Game Players... Was on, was on its way out. PSM was on its way out. Even though all the Ultra Game Players guys went over to uh, went to PSM, that was on its way out. Uh, Nintendo Power was was uh, on its last legs. It was it was on its way out. The only magazine that really was still doing gangbusters was Game Informer, and that's because of GameStop. GameStop owns Game Informer. If you don't know. And uh, that's why whenever you subscribe to their card, they give you a year of Game Informer. If they still do that, I don't know if they still do that. But they did when I worked there. That's their magazine. They own it. And uh, they were given preferential treatment by a lot of game developers because of the GameStop uh, uh, link. So you could, you know, every cover of Game Informer was usually an announcement of a new game. And that's that's how they did it because you put the magazine in the hands of people. And all of a sudden, bam, uh, here we go with reservations on the games that are being announced on the covers of Game Informer. It's part of their circle of life. And it did work, and it makes sense to do it that way. But get mag- paper magazines were definitely on their way out. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I couldn't wait to go to the store to look at the magazines and see if I could beg my parents to get me one Uh you know, I was I grew up kind of poor, so sometimes my parents would get me a magazine or a comic book, and sometimes they wouldn't. Uh, I also liked reading comic books as a kid, but the problem was, uh, comic books are like soap operas in a way. And if you go to the store and you buy a Spider-Man comic book, chances are there's been a bunch of stuff that happened before it, and there's going to be a bunch of stuff that comes up after it. And if you're if you don't have a lot of money, like my family did not, uh, you were going to miss a lot of stuff. So I didn't. I, I didn't enjoy comic books the way I really wish I could have. But anyway, uh, this is about magazines. So, but we, what we what we would see though is that a lot of the gaming journalists would now focus to be more digital, to do things online, which was the rise of your uh, gaming websites, uh, your GameSpots, your IGNs, you know, Gizmodo, uh, One Up, you know, mag- websites like that, and the gaming journalists would flock to these places to make money because now that the internet was out there, you didn't have to wait a month to get a magazine or a review or for an announcement, gaming announcement. You know, we didn't have to wait to look at a magazine to see that uh, Square Enix has announced a new Final Fantasy game. You could do it instantaneously. Just like, I mean, and it's how it is now is that the second that something is announced, bam, we know about it because of social media. It's on Twitter. It's on Facebook. It's it's on you know, Instagram. Everyone is announcing this stuff. And it's readily available to to everybody instantly, instantaneously. So, uh, digital gaming was uh, digital ga- uh, gaming journalism became a thing, and uh, there were a million websites out there, and a lot of them were making 
pretty good bank because they had inside information. They offered honest reviews, and uh, they were pretty, you know, they they were easy to uh, to find. You know, for the most part, it wasn't like you had to run every you know all over the place to get it. I can remember that GameSpot. I think they still own the the uh, the. the the URL, the, the web address for videogames.com. I just would type into my browser, videogames.com, and GameSpot would come up. And that's back when, you know, in the early aughts when the internet was really starting to pick up steam. Uh, that Owning that domain, that's what I meant to say, was videogames.com really uh, probably drove a lot of traffic to their website because people like me were looking for places to go to read about video games and watch videos about video games and... and uh, that's I just thought that was pretty brilliant to do that, but um, the but the gaming websites started out being fairly even-handed. You know, they were very much like the magazines. Uh, you'd get a hot take opinion piece from uh, from time to time, and I'm not gonna go over the the hot takes. Well, I will a little bit, but but the you know hot takes were what would usually get a lot of traffic to the website, you know, and hate clicks and things like that. And we will get into some of that. But when the, when the you know, the rise of, of digital marketing and digital, uh, not marketing, digital uh, magazines online, gaming blogs, things like that, uh, you could really find stuff that uh, was interesting. I can remember going to, I'm trying not to tag some of these gaming blogs now, but you know, the ones that I just come to mind right away. And uh, you, you'll probably, you're, Right, right away, you think, oh yeah, I remember, you're going here, go here, go here. Uh, they had scoops, and that's what uh, that's what we wanted. That's what I wanted was I wanted scoops. I was working in in gaming at the time, and you know I can remember when the when Square announced that Final Fantasy 13 was coming to the Xbox. I was on a conference call with uh, the other store managers in my district, and I just said, hey guys, just so you know. Uh, Microsoft just announced that Final Fantasy 13 is coming to the Xbox 360, and they were all like, "What?" I mean, it just went nuts that because uh, you know Microsoft had a lot of uh, loyal supporters from uh, GameStop managers, and so I mean, it was it was a pretty big deal. So these gaming blogs served a purpose to deliver news and deliver breaking news to us, and when they during their heyday, they did that very well. What has happened, though, is we have another rise. Now, this is where we're going to get to the fall of gaming journalism. Um, and there's going to be people who tell you, well, the reviews suck, and uh, they do. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not the only reason you're seeing the fall of gaming journalism in 2022, and a lot of journalism overall. Um Part of it's because the websites have become totally obsessed with everything outside of video games. Uh, if you go back to certain gaming blogs, and again, I'm not going to tag anybody because I don't want to drive traffic for their garbage. Uh, when Two years ago when the PlayStation 5 came out, Sony gave a PlayStation 5 to this gaming blog, and the person who wrote the review for it actually ranted more about the election that was going on at that time, presidential election, than they did about the PlayStation 5. And I'm just sitting there thinking, they gave you a PlayStation 5. Review the freaking PlayStation 5. I don't care about your hot takes for political issues. I want to know what you think of the PlayStation 5. And 
that's a huge reason why a lot of people no longer visit these gaming blogs and why they're all starting to condense. How you know gaming blogs are are faltering right now is because they're all being bought up by each other. So you it you know during 20 years ago you had probably 3 4 5 6 7 dozen uh, gaming blogs out there all making pretty decent money. Some, of course, your IGNs and such were making huge money but uh, and, and GameSpot. But your smaller ones that, again, I'm not going to tag any of them, uh, they were making money. You know, they were doing well. And it was because they could drive traffic to the website due to news. And they offered pretty decent reviews. And it, they were very well staffed and, and they were ran very well. But... Now, fast forward to 2022, and I don't want to hear your political hot takes in my uh, video game blog. I don't. I don't want to go to read about the you know the upcoming God of War, and then you break into something about voting for the people that you want me to vote for. That's that's not the point of what I go to gaming blogs for. If I want to go for political stuff. I'll go for political stuff. There's tons of places I can go. I don't need to hear it from you. That's the way I look at it. And this is not a political podcast. I will not get into politics, but I will tell you that uh, a big problem in entertainment right now is is that they're inserting a lot of today's problems into entertainment. When entertainment, especially if you're talking about high fantasy, if you're talking about comic books, you know, movies or television shows, you know, things where, you know, science fiction. I don't need modern day politics in my high fan. I don't want to, to see modern day politics inserted into a story about someone going to kill a dragon is my point. But anyway, uh, the, so the gaming blogs are writing these reviews and they're and they're pushing their political hot takes on on their on their websites and that's really hurting them. That's that, no one's going to their the the websites. They're not getting clicks because people are just tired of it. But where but people are still getting their news. They're still getting news and they're still getting good reviews. And this is why we're seeing the fall of gaming journalism and the backlash that the, that journalists are are giving getting out here are massive it's massive and it's the rise of the independent content creator you will see i'm a i i'm not going to call myself a content creator even though i kind of am since i stream on twitch and i create this podcast hopefully for your listening pleasure uh but uh, i'm by no means exceedingly popular at least not at this point but there are people out there who are independent voices who are doing their absolute best to provide good, straightforward, honest content about games and gaming news. Uh, And they have worked their rear ends off to get where they are. And some of the really popular ones, and again, you're probably thinking of one or two right now. That's great. But you know that if you go to what they're going to say about the new Madden or the new Call of Duty or whatever is going to be an honest review and they're not trying to shill for anybody and you're not going to get a political hot take you're not you know it's going to be uh, uh this thing and and the truth is is that a lot of the, the the gaming journalists are access media they need access to keep people clicking uh, clicking on their their stuff so they're they're they will 
kind of give corporate big corporations that give them access a pass in a lot of ways. So with the reviews and things like that, so you'll see a kind of a lollipop review of a game because oh my gosh, if we give them a bad review, they probably won't invite us to the next big hubbubaloo that they're gonna have. So independent creators don't worry about that. They actually go out and they just say, hey, this game sucks, or hey, this game's awesome. And then when gaming news comes out, and, and it's now because of social media, it's instantaneous that we hear about it. You don't have to go to a gaming blog to find out. You can just find out from Twitter. And then you can give your opinion on, hey, Squaresoft said they're going to announce a new Final Fantasy. This is, I'm not... I'm just talking about Final Fantasy a lot in this podcast. But that's what they that's the the real fall of gaming journalism is is that a lot of the gaming public has found independent voices on YouTube and social media, Twitch, and they are more willing to go there and listen to those people because they know they're going to get the truth and the, or because they know that hey, I like the games this guy plays or this this girl plays. We have very similar tastes in games, so I'm going to listen to what they have to say about about the game that I'm interested in. And if they like it, then chances are I'm going to like it too. And oh yeah, they're not going to give me their crappy political hot takes while talking about it. They're just going to say, hey, uh, the new Saints Row came out. Uh, I think it's kind of boring. I think this, that, and the other. You know, and and it's and it's fine. And again, it's fine if you don't agree with people. That this is I I, I cannot stress this enough because I've seen it happen so much over the last several years. I don't know what has happened to, uh, especially my beloved country. I don't, guys. I don't know about you Americans out there. I'm an American, very proud to be an American. Love my country. Love being here. But we have a a conglomerate of people. A very and I think it's a small vocal. Uh, you know, conglomerate of people on social media who seem to have this in their brain that if you do not agree with them about everything, everything, then you are a horrible person. And you can run down the list of things they call each other. And I've never seen that before. You know, I, I've seen it where we, you know, as, as a, uh, a fan of, of geek stuff like I am, where I'll say, hey, my favorite Star Wars movie is Empire Strikes Back. And then you'll have someone pop up and say, oh, but A New Hope's actually better. And you guys can have a discussion about it. But at the end of the day, you're both still fans. And, you you know, it's it's not something that you start getting out the torches and pitchforks for. But now, if you give a bad, you know, a, a, a bad review to a game, it becomes this uh, crazy go nuts, you know, uh, torture chamber where people want to go, they didn't like my my this new game and I love it so therefore they're horrible oh god no 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 if you're not interested in hearing someone's honest opinion you shouldn't be reading or looking at reviews especially from independent creators but uh in my honest opinion I think that's the big uh draw the big fall of gaming journalism is they've gone way too political and that independent creators have come up and basically taken that space over and now you you'll go on YouTube and you can type in a re, a review of the new Saints Row and you'll find hundreds of people there that have that have reviewed that game that have nothing to do with with access media or a gaming blog. And if you 
develop some sort of kind I don't want to say relationship well it is a relationship in a way but if you find a reviewer or a content creator that you like and you have similar tastes and they've always been you know right your with your opinion in the past and all of a sudden they come up and tell you uh, this game is is this you know and you find yourself going okay well maybe this I should give this a go or maybe I need to pass this up because they have similar tastes than I do and I know they're not giving me the business I know they're gonna tell me the truth. And that's where you've, you you have a big uh, drop off with gaming journalism, and it's like that with a lot of journalism overall, but you know especially in the entertainment space, movie reviews, television reviews, video game reviews, book reviews, things like that. Anything that has well, not books can be nonfiction, but but the stuff that's that they're doing now is they're trying to push a narrative, and they're not trying to provide a service to their customer. That's the problem with with gaming media this this time is they're they're looking to push a narrative instead of just going let's provide the best possible service we can to our customers and then when it, you know what maybe we will lose access to to a, a, a big game or something but our audience is so big they're gonna have to come back to us because we have eyeballs on us every day and instead that's not what's happening instead they're going we need to bend over backwards to placate so and so, so we don't lose access, and we're gonna go ahead and just start uh, doing these hot take uh, ideas. That if you don't agree with how we feel about what the access, uh, the uh, the company given has given us access to, the glowing review or the glowing recommendation that we're gonna give, then you're the problem. That that uh, we don't really want your kind here. We don't need your support. And a lot of people have picked up their tents and they've moved on to YouTube. Because those creators on YouTube or, or wherever else, I know there's a ton of places out there you can go. I'm just saying YouTube because of Twitch, you know, Twitch and YouTube. Uh, they know they can go there and they're not going to get treated poorly. They're, and they're going to get the, the, the creator is there to gain eyeballs, which is what journalism should be. We need eyeballs. We don't need political hot takes in 2022. So... That's where we are with gaming journalism, quite frankly, is that it's kind of on its way out because the gaming journalists are not offering the, the service they used to offer. If, you, if, if the guys and gals who worked on magazines back in the mid-90s, early to mid-90s, could see where or have seen where we are now with gaming journalism, because I'm sure they're still with us. It's not like they're all dead. They're probably going, what the heck? We paved the road for you guys, and then you took a freaking tank down it and destroyed every bit of the pavement we had <laughs> laid for you so we don't want to hear your crap but yeah that's that's where we are with gaming journalism and i i hope that it picks back up everything kind of is cyclical everything's going to kind of go in a cycle i, pr I have a, a strong feeling you're going to start seeing a lot of these big conglomerate sites like ign and GameSpot. they're going to condense quite a bit and uh, they're going to get a lot smaller and when that happens, it's a lot of the bad faith players are going to be ousted, and then you're going to see them get, you know, you know, get lean. They'll have to provide better content, and when the content improves, then they'll get bigger and they'll start bringing people on again. That's usually how it works uh, with with, uh, with cyclical businesses like that. And, and I would, I don't see why gaming journalism won't work the same way. But as long as they continue putting 
modernism and not trying to offer the service to the customer. But if they think their customer is the companies that make the games and not the people who are reading the websites, then they are going to have a very hard road to hoe from, from this point forward. You have to know that the reason why you are there is to provide a service to your readers. Okay, uh, You might not get um, access later, but that's, you know, the, the best way I could put it is there was a gentleman, and I don't remember his name, but he worked for GameSpot, and uh, he had done a review of the game Kane and Lynch. Can, uh, I think it was Kane Lynch or Kane Lynch 2. It was one of the Kane Lynch games. And it just so happens that the day that his review came out was the day that Eidos had bought advertising space on GameSpot. So their whole background was, was Kane and Lynch. And then you click on the review and the guy gave it a crappy review. It was like a 4 out of 10 or something. He gave it an honest review. Well, he got fired. They fired him because he gave an honest review of a game that uh, the advertise that uh, the advertising space came in for uh, came in and, and said, "This is horrible. How could you do this to us? You just killed our 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 advertising campaign with, with your website." And instead of them going, "Well, we needed to make a better product," they took it out on Gamespot. Gamespot fired this guy, and you know that's that's gaming journalism here. And that was ten years ago. That happened a while ago. But that was kind of the, the first time I remember going, hey, wait a minute. The journalist's job is to provide content, uh, provide his opinion and, and the best content he can to the consumer, to the to the reader. He's not there to placate the company who made the crap. But nope, that's not what happened. So anyway, we're going to go ahead and close this down today. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I do hope that gaming journalism comes back now uh, next weekend. I'll record another podcast. I don't know what it's going to be about yet. We are getting into the fall games now, so we're starting to see stuff come out. Uh, we have release dates now for uh, God of War. Uh, Hogwarts Legacy is coming out in February, I think. Uh, we I, I was looking the other day. The stuff is coming out, so we're starting to get some dates on things. We're going to have some cool stuff coming out, and we'll have things to talk about. If you do want to see me talk about something in particular, go ahead and hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Evil Enigma. Of course, I'm also on Twitch. I'll talk just about anybody there. Uh, pretty approachable. I've, I'm a pretty nice guy. I don't uh, I don't bite, I promise. So you know, re- reach out to me if you want to see me talk about something, and uh, I'll see what I can do to make that happen, okay? So I will talk to everybody here real soon. Hope you have a wonderful rest of, or a wonderful start to your week because it's uh, this will be out on Monday, and it'll be Labor Day here. So if you are uh, an American, happy Labor Day to you, and uh, I'll see everyone next week. Thank you so much. Have a great day.